Life of Jam live video podcast season 4, can you believe it, episode 2. Writers on Writing, where I, J-E-M, Jem, Juanita Estella Mann, interview writers in my community, some of my favorite people who have books. We record this live to video just so everyone knows, and you can always find the video on wadidaemance.com or on my Life of Jam Facebook page. But we are now also available audio only on Apple Podcasts. So you can listen to the audio about one week after the video airs. I call this episode Riding with Style, and you will see why. Today we have a really big treat. We have one of my favorite people, former librarian, writer, a wonderful editor, book reviewer, Victoria Waddle. She has two books that are currently published, Acts of Contrition, published by Los Nietos Press, and most recently, a book that's dear to my heart, The Mortality of Dogs and Humans. This was published by Bamboo Dart Press. And then she also has a YA novel coming out from Inlandia. I'm going to read Victoria's uh, bio. Give us away, Victoria. She's here. And then she's going to read a short excerpt of her work from Acts of Contrition. And then we'll chat and get into the meat of the interview. And stick around till the end because we're going to be giving away a book or two. So, Victoria Waddle is a retired librarian, a Pushcart Prize-nominated writer, with work published in numerous literary journals and anthologies, including Best Short Stories from the Saturday Evening Post, Great American Fiction Contest. A collection of her short fiction, Acts of Contrition, is available from Los Nietos Press. Her chapbook, The Mortality of Dogs and Humans, is available from Bamboo Dart Press. Her upcoming YA novel will be published by Inlandia, and that is yet untitled. She's working on the title. She is formerly the managing editor of the journal Inlandia, A Literary Journey. She helped to establish a yearly teen issue. Her experience as a high school English teacher and librarian, combined with the current battle over book banning, influences her current project. She also recently started a substack, which we'll talk about, called Be a Cactus, and the link is in the comments, but basically it's www.victoriawaddle.substack.com. She also has a website, victoriawaddle.com. Welcome, Victoria. It is such an honor to have you. Yay. It's an honor. Yay, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited about it, so thank you so well, much. We already have a lot of viewers. I'm going to shout out a couple of them. Rachel Meenan. Yeah, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Okay. And then Carol Erickson. Thank you for tuning in live. Um, and like I said, this will be available on Apple Podcasts within a week. So, Victoria, I really love the book Acts of Contrition. Frank Kearns, who uh, both published both of our books from Los Nietos Press, um, he uh, published this book, Acts of Contrition. It's a beautiful collection of short stories. I really want people to hear your unique voice. Can you read us a portion to start out the podcast? Okay, yeah, thanks. I'm going to, um, what I want to do is just read a portion from a, one of the stories well in, the last story. And the story is called, You Must Remember This. And it was actually the one that was selected by the Saturday Evening Post as a, um, among Best American Fiction. And um, it's, you know, a little longer and I don't want to take too long. So I'm going to read out of the middle of it. So let me just tell you that the beginning of the story, it's basically about a really large dysfunctional family in the 1960s, 1970s. You know, they have five girls and two boys in a really small house. And um, the main character, the protagonist, has a little friend named Joni who has like a Barbie dream house. I thought I'd read the Barbie thing today just because I'd be so in Barbie. So read a little Barbie today. Um, the um, Barbie dream house. And of course, our protagonist, she doesn't have a Barbie dream house. Their house is too small to have big toys like that because there are so many people in it. So um, she likes to play at Joni's. And Joni's mother is named Bobby, and Bobby um, has been divorced twice, and now she's married three times, and she's moving out of the neighborhood. And all the women gossip about her. They think that, you know, her life is going down the tubes. But the protagonist as a child doesn't see it this way. She thinks that her life is really cool. So, um, that's kind of what happened before is that you just think it's really dysfunctional and a lot of mention of things that you would recognize if you know anything about the 60s and 70s, like uh, Bewitched, Batman, et cetera, going on there. Okay, so um, here we are with our uh, protagonist kind of in the middle of the story. She's talking with her sister, Alice, who's trying to help her with a zipper that is stuck on her clothes. 
The zipper on my dress was caught, and Alice was afraid she'd break it, so I wandered out to the kitchen to get help. My mother and Blanche were having glasses of beer with Ritz and Cheese Whiz, their celebratory mood mellowed by the buzz of the alcohol. Blanche called to me, I'll help you with your zipper, and then you're so pretty. She patted her lap, and I moved to sit in it. She had no problem pulling the fastener open, but instead of setting me back on the ground, she pulled me closer to her and wrapped me in her arms. This one could be mine with those eyes and that hair. My mother smiled. Blanche wore perfume, and I leaned into her for a better whiff, her scent as bold as the exotic flowers of her mumu, blue, red, and fluorescent pink outlined in black. My senses overwhelmed, I felt faint and yet safe, nearly falling back onto Blanche, into the warm tenderness of her ample breasts and soft belly, sinking into the marshmallow pillow of her thigh. This is a hug. And then they lied to me. Blanche's husband didn't just like her face. He could wrap himself up like this every night, but the lie was something even greater than nighttime caresses too big for me to figure out. I only knew that the sensation was like Bobby's lips on my cheek. That is, if I could somehow have lips all over my body. I curled up and then remained still, alert to the pleasure puzzle. When Blanche said it was time for her to go, she put her hands under my arms to lift me off her lap. Though I knew it was futile, I snuggled deeper. My mother, embarrassed, said, you're too old for that. Another lie. I now knew that she couldn't be trusted. When we returned to Bobby's house, it was for a New Year's Eve party. I was young enough to find this exciting and begged my parents to go. My siblings stayed home. It was clear that Mary thought watching the younger kids was a drag, but that going to a party with our parents was worse. Joni and I played in her room for a while, but she had only one Ken doll, so we couldn't make two couples. We became bored and decided to watch the adults. There were several that I knew. Blanche was there, and I might have worked a stealth campaign to end up in the electric blanket of her lap, except that a new woman had caught my attention. Rachel was Bobby's niece. She had on a mini skirt that tickled her butt and the coolest black boot I had ever seen. In front, they rode up over her knees, and if she wanted to, she could have crawled for blocks and come up without a scratch. She too reminded me of Raquel Welsh, such was her beauty. I wondered if I had heard her name wrong, if she was Raquel incognito. Of course, everyone had noticed Rachel, but she mostly smiled on my father, that distinguished Superman, that local Clark Kent. I found a napkin on a tray in the kitchen and read the party joke printed on it. I went back out to the living room to pile up some chips and dips. When I saw my mother, I pointed at my napkin and asked her, what did one eye say to the other eye? My mother grabbed my wrist and I winced. When she pulled me next to her, I said, between you and me, something smells, in the hope that the punchline would ease a tension that seemed to have no source. She cocked her head at me the way parents do when their children are wise beyond their years. Then she looked at the napkin and her irritation returned. She had a clear drink in her hand. Put water in this, she hissed. My father was talking to Rachel, but when he saw my mother pass off his glass, he called to me to have Bob, who was in the kitchen refreshing his own drink, give him some vodka since my mother wouldn't do it. He laughed in a way I'd never heard before. In fact, everything about him was something I didn't recognize. His happy feet that tapped out the rhythm of the song on the stereo, his tone of voice, which my mother responded to as if to a slap. You take that glass and put water in it, she whispered to me. Dad will get mad at me. Do what I tell you to do. Caught between them, I decided to obey my mother. When I handed the glass to my dad, he sipped and then tapped his finger on the center of my head as though it were a spring-loaded trap door. I ran away, back to Joni's bedroom and the single Ken doll. I played Barbies until people started blowing their paper horn and getting ready for the midnight countdown. A man I didn't know handed me a horn and a noisemaker. 
I saw that my father was still with Rachel. My mother stared at him and her eyes welled with tears. He came over to her just in time for the midnight countdown. I had never seen him drunk this way, wasted, but his crossing the room gave me a moment of being grounded, a sense of truth between my parents. When the clock struck the hour, my father kissed my mother. It was the first time I had seen him kiss her and the first time I had seen him perpetrate violence upon her, grabbing her cheeks between his thumb and forefinger and forcing her mouth open, a punishment. Others saw this as well. Rachel looked on and a smile slid up one side of her mouth. She had beaten my mother in some sort of game. As the revelers were still screeching and wishing one another a happy new year, my mother grabbed her coat and walked out to the car. I followed. When we climbed into the station wagon, my father was at the wheel. My mother didn't drive, wasn't even licensed. We peeled out down the street and then on to Liberty Boulevard. The wagon slipped over the yellow dividing line and speeding through the hills, brake squealing, we ricocheted back through the curves. I cowered in the back seat and then decided my best chance of survival would be on the floor. Every turn felt like it would sling my gut over the hillside. I gagged and then retched as quietly as possible, swallowing back the clot of potato chips that lodged itself in my throat, worried that if my father smelled vomit, he might drive over the cliff just to punish me. Thus began the decade of the Raquel. I, I I so love that story, and I'm so glad you read from it. The YA voice in that story is so strong, and I called this episode Writing with Style, and that that's what I mean by writing with style, because it's like you have such a distinctive voice, and you have all these different stories, but yet we still hear your voice in all these different characters, and um, just so everyone knows, Tim Hatch is here. Hey, Vic. Hey, Jim, he said. Jill is here. Hi, Jill. She said that was intense. And Elizabeth Gorbett um, Frost is here, too. And she says, you go, girl. So let's talk about that story and in that voice. So this young girl, you use a lot of nostalgia, starting with the title. You must remember this, right? That's a, that's a song title. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh um, as time goes by. And so was that one of your goals in this story was to enhance the stylistic tone of the piece by using these little um, images that we can just latch on to, like the Barbie doll, Raquel Welch, um, the bicycle, um, the idea of being in a car with your parents. Like, talk about that. Like, I also want to know wagon. how, yeah, the station wagon, how you wrote these stories. Like, yeah. do you uh, channel, do you, do you uh, plot them out? Like, give us a little sense of how you do this. I like, you know, I thinking recently of saying, I like George, the short story writer, George Saunders, very famous and brilliant. And he's probably the best short story writer alive in America today. And mm -hmm. um, he has a story club on Substack. And one of the things I like that he was talking about, so, you know, writers have, um, you know, everybody's limited as being human in their time, in their understanding, in their mind. And they have uh, certain things, themes that speak to them. And he said, don't be afraid to go into these themes again and again, because it's like a vein of gold in the, in the rock, right? Yeah. Go back to that vein, go back to that precious metal, you know, and keep doing it. And so I think that's what I do a lot. And so a lot of people have commented, oh my gosh, you know, there's a lot of like joking around about like religion and stuff in here. Yeah. And there's, um, and of course the book, all of the books are about female characters that get a little bit of a raw deal. And then mm -hmm. how do they, how do they relate to that? How do they get beyond it, past it? And some of them do it in very funny ways. And this one um, is actually, she gets out of it in a pretty funny kind of like way. But I thought I did really in this particular story want to look at, and I know it, it might be some people are younger and weren't alive around in the 60s or the 70s, but just um, might recognize some of those things that they watch Batman every week and that she's thinking when they have to go to church at the um, gym because they're building the church and they're in the public gym and the basketball hoop is over the priest. She's really afraid that, the, you know, the 
net is going to come down like it does on Batman and Robin and grab him, you know, and oh my God, what is he going to do? You know, the priest, you know, is he going to be saved by God? And so these kind of like weird questions that adults wouldn't think of. And so trying to get into the child's mind and the fears that children have. And so I thought well, that was also really cool. that idea of the male in control, right? And the woman being more subservient, watching their husband flirt, um, that kind of mad men motif. Uh, Ruthie Marlinay, who's a wonderful writer who wrote Agave Blues. Whoa, did our generation all have parents like this? And I think there's something is like that romantic view. You call your dad the local Clark Kent um, in the story. The narrator does. Uh, this is not memoirs fiction. So I don't want to mix up uh, whose who's voice this is. You know, you do write memoir, too. and We're going to talk about your memoir. Um, the Mortality of Dogs and Humans, uh, which is more essay-based. But that idea of um, the male in charge, right, and the female, and also in the Catholic Church, right, there is a lot of religious imagery. And um, the only other person that I know that does this as well as you do is Jo Scott Coe, um, who I love her work. And she taught me how to use religion to set tone. And what is the religious aspect of this? What are you trying to say, both with the title, the image through the heart, which almost has like a Frida Kahlo and a Jesus Christ kind of motif? Yeah. Uh, like, what are you saying? That well, it's definitely is, a, a sacred heart. heart. Like, everything it's sacred heart. Okay. And everybody, I think people would recognize, you know, that as such. But um, I think really what I want to do because there is a lot about religion and this stuff and making fun of, I mean, even when it's not that, you know, there's other stories where like, she just kind of has a wacky day. She misses work because she's having hot flashes and wake all night. And then she falls asleep in the morning when she's supposed to be at work. And here comes the Jehovah witness to her house. Here comes the Mormon boy to the house. And that's one of my actually favorite stories. And she, and so she just entertains everybody. She's like, I made, I made a pie. And so let's all eat pie together and stuff. And you think, what are they doing? You know, all these, so it's like kind of, I like to take it out in a, you know, I think that's what fiction does. And that's why fiction is fun as opposed to say like, you know, memoirs or that you could take stuff to a, like kind of like put in the ridiculous, like you just take it just a step back on beyond what you would do. Like will the Jehovah's and the Mormons come in the same day at the same time? No, but in a story, yes. You know, let's go ahead with that. And what happens in the household? And also her neighbor comes who's like really super new agey and they're all talking about their things. And I think that... A, I look at religion a lot because I think a lot about patriarchy and that's mm -hmm. kind of what the young adult novel is about. It's a girl who's being raised in a polygamous cult. She's only 14 years old and she's being forced to marry her cousin okay. and her brother. She has a twin brother and he's being thrown out because they, they try to keep down the number of boys because they want to have lots of girls to marry the dirty old men. And so, um, this is what happens. Like, so I think of patriarchy yeah. and it is kind of funny How because when I adult narrator in your upcoming YA novel, she's 14, okay. 14 and, and she has to yeah. get married when she's 14. So it's a crazy, wow. terrible. And I cause that's what I was thinking. Like, where can I set this where it just has the worst of patriarchy? What can I do? And that mm -hmm. was the answer. And it's also kind of realistic in the sense that of course, places like that have existed in the United States. In the American Southwest, you know. Yeah. And where, so, what year uh, is that yeah. fiction novel taking place in? It's like kind of like contemporary sort of a thing, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just so, so read it. I've read parts of it and I love it. It's going to be an, um, I can't wait till it's out there so we can talk more about it. I don't want to give everything away. But going right, back yeah. to um, Acts of Contrition really quick. There's this story, Signage, that just fascinated me in the way you set it up. So it's about this woman, Laura, that's at this hotel and um, she's thinking about her ex-boyfriend and then he shows up, right? Mm -hmm. Along with his family. And he was a little bit, if not abusive to her, a little bit um, dismissive of her at the very least. Wh why is that story in the middle of the book? And then talk about how you structured this short story collection. Um, I think for me, the reason I love uh, books so much and why I really get into the, like dive deep into them is I love the idea of where you put a story. And I love the idea of sequencing kind of like an album. And this book definitely does that in the best kind of way. This book is brilliant in the sense that it kind of takes us on a narrative ride. Well, so I think that, um, 
Yeah, I think that what I tried to do is frame it. I like I like frame, mm-hmm. and so I have the bitten woman is at the beginning, and so it's a a woman, a a grown woman looking back not just at her childhood, but at her great aunt who is looking back at the bitten woman. And she even says, you know, the the narrator doesn't have a name and the bitten woman doesn't have a name. And it goes through like what happens, horrifying thing that happens to the bitten woman, how she gets the name, the bitten woman. And then um, the narrator says, this all interested me when I heard the story from my great aunt, because I was a bitten girl. And so you get this idea. And then she talks about her kind of terrible, horrifying situation, but who helps her? And so that's kind of what I'm trying to look at there is like, what happens to women who helps or doesn't help and how that changes the ultimate result, whether you get help or not. Right. And so um, that at the beginning, and then at the end, I wanted it like with this, you must remember this is where she's actually able to look back at the craziness and almost kind of laugh at it and say, you know, here I am. I'm having a good time. I'm an adult. So those things, all the other stories in the book start out with a narrator talking about being very young child and then moving up and up and up and up. So the reason like something like um, the um, things that are in the middle of the book, let's say the stories in the middle, are people are kind of middle aging. You know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they go from young adulthood into middle age. And then by the end of the stories, you know, the, the second to the last story, we have somebody taking care of somebody who has dementia. And I know that I had somebody on, um, I actually had a story, uh, an article published and, uh, and some people ordered the book, which I thought was really nice total strangers read the article and so they ordered my book because they thought I like this article and somebody who who did that contacted me and said oh my god I love this book it's so realistic and I went and found the story uh because about the dementia because I know somebody with dementia and I had to share it so that we can all say it seems so real and I said yeah unfortunately I have had this you know very a very real experience from dementia and I think what you do is you build on real experiences but I just wanted that I wanted them to age so you can see all through the aging process what happens to these women and even when they're pretty old they're still getting a lot of crap you know <laughs> like you know it's just like let them go you know that kind of thing in fact what I think is so funny that Ruthie made a comment and um and then she says oh my god I'm hardly sorry for breathing and I think that is like so Exactly. That just explains it, doesn't it, Rosie? It's like, you know, can't do anything, right? You can't do anything. So, yeah. Well, that's what's so brilliant about your book is it really is about feminism and or lack thereof in some ways. Um, and about like kind of women's journey and why feminism is needed maybe is more like it. And, I, you know, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it in the end. These are all character studies, right? We, um, you focus mostly on one character, and from their frame of reference, we're kind of seeing their world, and that's why I love it so much. There's, um, does is is any of the narrators the same person, or they're all different characters, right? They're all different characters. Yeah, they're all different characters. Yeah, because yeah, I always try to figure that out if there's ever a one person that can show up again. Um, and I, you know what that, I like that about it because there's a lot of linked story collections, but what I like about this story collection is that they're different women, but there's a, a unifying theme. Right. So talk yeah. about the line, because we're going to move into talking about your memoir in a little bit, or your, um, collection of essays about, um, the mortality of dogs and humans. Um, talk about, which is a chat book, a memoir. Um, we're kind of um, at Mark Gibbons and Dennis Kalachi from Bamboo Dart Press are kind of turning the chat book idea on its head and they're playing with the form a little bit. So this is a chat book memoir essays. Um, talk about the line between memoir and fiction and which you prefer. Like, it, I mean, obviously this is fiction, this is memoir and you're coming out with the YA fiction. What, how do you approach them as a writer? There's a lot of writers that listen to this podcast and which do you prefer as far as genre? Or maybe you don't believe in genre. My friend Samuel Altman just, um, we had this conversation for about an hour a couple of weekends ago about whether genre matters anymore in the world of auto fiction and memoir and people that blur fiction and memoir combine them hybrid now. So what's your favorite genre and what do you think about genre? You know, I, I kind of agree with the, you know, like what is genre type of thing, but I will say that this, you know, I haven't lived on a polygamous colony, you know, it's definitely <laughs> fiction. And that these are fiction, 
Um, although like I take experiences, like I had a, um, I had a, a family, not as large as the family in this one, you must remember this, but a big family in a small house with no big toys and, and really, um, let's say wanting a Barbie dream house, you know, that kind of a thing. And so you're going to take that kind of a thing, but then, like I said, in a very regular sense, I think that fiction has to be engaging in the way that it pushes the limits. And so I just want to make that clear because I have had people who have read this book and, and they're like, oh my God, is this you and all these stories? Because, you know, you must be so traumatized. And it's like, no. Okay. Just to be clear. No, it is not me and all these stories and all these like super traumatic things. No, nobody ever bit me all over or whatever. You know, just those are just things that happen to the characters in the story. And I think that's something and that metaphors in a way, right? To, yeah. Yeah. People have to like understand that there's a reason for putting that in there, but it's, it's not, they can't always think that that's like every crazy thing is happening to the author, right? That's, that's not the case. And so um, the author's just trying to like up the ante a little bit to keep you like involved and, and to make it, to make it flow. So I think that that's true. I think as far as memoir, you know, I haven't, I do write actually some just essays that I've had published, not a book of them or anything, just um, about things that, that did feel really crazy to me. And I've had a lot of um, difficult things in my family over the last five years, a lot of death among my family mm -hmm. and friends, uh, just that felt like a tidal wave of it. And so um, what is that like? And how, where do you go when things like that happen? And so those, um, some of those essays have been published and some of them have not, depending on what they're about. And I think that um, finally this one with the what we're talking about, the mortality of dogs and humans. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this is everything in there is real. So it's, it's nonfiction and there's no, there's no element outside of reality. This is me and it's my dogs and it's kind of stuff that happened. But the reason why I wanted to, uh, to put this thing out, I guess, even though it is a slow chapter. And you're right. It's funny because um, Mark Gibbons, the publisher, was kind of saying, you know, the, the pushing the limits of the chapbook. You know, he's saying to me, is this a chapbook? You know, and kind mm -hmm. of talking about that, right? And and like, well, it is now, right? And, yeah. you know, it's 70 pages and it's more of a, a memoir about dogs. It's not a, a group of poems. But I, um, I think that with the dogs, you know, I had my dogs were dying and then died at the same time that my parents were dying. And then I thought of the difference between what it's like to care for parents who are dying, what it's like to care for dogs who are dying. Mm -hmm. But I wanted it to be an uplifting thing. And I wanted it to be about, um, for first, I have so many friends that have dogs. I mean, I have lots of dog loving friends yeah. and, um, who have one or even more dogs. And a lot of them had to put the dogs down and then they sometimes will say to me, or even I'll see it on Facebook or whatever. Oh, I can't get another dog. Or that was two years ago. And I can't believe sometimes, you know, they, I can't do this because it would dishonor my dog or I, I can't stop thinking about my dog. It was the best dog ever. And um, that's true. You know, that's the way we feel, right? Yeah. Okay. But really for everybody's sake, you get another dog. Or another two dogs, if you lost two dogs like I did, I got two dogs, they will remind you of your past dogs. Even mm -hmm. though they have different personalities, your past dogs are sort of like alive in them. So I wanted to go through like what the process was, you know, like about um, what you have to do when you're putting a dog down and how much I trusted my vet because they would yeah. say, oh, you'll know what well, you don't know. And a lot of times you try to fool yourself, right? Even on the day, Fletcher, on the day that he was going to be put down, and I made all the I made all the arrangements in advance because I didn't think I could do it, but it's like paid in advance and made an appointment in advance. And then I said, you know, I'll wait for my son to come down here because he wants to be here, all these kinds of things. Then I'll be able to do it. And he was really actually, you know, bad off. He really was. But that morning he got up and he could kind of move a little better than the day he did before. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should cancel, right? Because you just yeah. want so badly not to be that place. And so you kind of need that other thing with the vet to say when you take him and the vet says, oh my God, you know, let's look, look how slim he is. I personally don't think you ever know if you're making the right call. And I, right. you and I have talked about what happened with my Frodo, who I had for 15 beautiful years, you know, who was a black and white shih tzu, my best, one of my best friends in life. And I got him after my cat was killed by a bobcat, my cat, um, Leopold Bloom. And, um, <laughs> but Frodo was my first real dog that I ever owned. And he went downhill so rapidly that it was literally one morning of seven seizures and me having to make the call within literally one hour 
two hours. And my husband being at work, my vet being in Arizona, who's one of our best friends, and then me working with the vet on the phone, Chris, Dr. Berg at, uh, in Rancho, and then him talking to the vet there and me watching my dog be intubated and deciding that it was too much for Frodo. And I feel blessed, um, not because I let him go, because I still wonder, could he have, we think he had a brain tumor, so I think I made the right call and I didn't want him to suffer. But um, when we put him down, and like I said, I had to make the decision really quick. Um, the vet, after he, after they did the the syringe, um, and he stopped breathing, they let me hold him for an hour, and they wrapped him in a black brown fur blanket, like, and he looked, and his name was Frodo, and he looked like a little hobbit. Yes. And I would never say that I saw his soul leave his body, but I felt it, and it wasn't mm-hmm. when they said he stopped breathing; it was after. Mm-hmm. It was when I was holding him and um, talking to him, you know, and telling him how much I loved him and how much he meant. I, I know. When I story about Fletcher, I was like, you wrote this story for people like me that we need to feel comforted that we made the right call and that we did the right thing and that it's never easy, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I, also I like you- how you encourage people to get another dog because I do believe yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And I have, you know, and right away, I didn't, when after Zanny Fletcher and Zanny died like two years apart, and they were actually two years in, in age difference. So oh, they were wow. both, Fletcher, yeah, so Fletcher was just under 16, but he was a big dog, you know, he was a 70 yeah. pound dog. So it was a good, solid life. And Fletcher was yeah. a beautiful runner. And that's part of what this is about. He was a runner, he was a hiker. And, and part mm-hmm. of the story is about, you know, the other thing well, about he, uh, dogs. Is gold, golden Retriever or? What was his she breed? is a no, she's a um a Labrador retriever. Labrador and retriever. actually she had a um this looks just like her. A friend of mine, her name is Laura Woodson DeClos. She's an artist and Aww. she's taken up she's taken up watercolor recently. She took it up during the pandemic and she's pretty really good. And she um uh, she painted this picture thing. It's like and it's from a Aww. picture thing. She was outside, so she just put a little thing on her. But uh, it reminds me so much of of Zany, and so that was really nice. And I think, hold on a second, I have a um. Hold on, I'm gonna do one thing too. I'm gonna show you guys a picture of Fletcher. If I can get him in there, yeah, there he is. Yeah, because in the oh look at that. (laughs) He's like oh, I'm so cute. That's Tawaka. This is Frodo's little brother. Frodo's little brother, yeah. Every day for 13 years. I need Frodo. He just wanted to say hi to you. Show the picture of Fletcher. So this is just Fletcher's Facebook. You can see, and the reason why I say is that in in the book, I talk about how Fletcher kind of looks a little bit like a wolf. Yeah. So he would, it was kind of nice because he would like be a, he was actually a really nice dog, but he looked kind of scary. And so when I would run and things like that, at the time I had run marathons and things, and I would take Fletcher out, we would just run miles and miles. Fletcher was a never quit. He was, a, my vet used to call him the Olympic athlete. And so he could Aww. easily, he run, he could run 20 miles and then he would be like, I could go some more mom. And he was like, just this beautiful wolfish dog. And I liked it too. Cause when I would hike in like lonely areas or whatever, he had that look like she's walking a wolf. And so like men, you know, they wouldn't be like, Ooh, they kind of walk around me. Right. And so I kind of talk about that a little bit today when I read about these dogs, but they were just uh, a lot of fun. Read it. And you know, um, I read this sentence once that said you know we learn how to grieve through the death of our pets because they do have such a shorter lifespan than us and it's a mm-hmm. it, and it's the way we learn to grieve talk about how because I had this happen when um Frodo passed it brought up all my dad's stuff and my dad passing and my father-in-law passing and my brother-in-law passing and you had a lot of death in your life talk about that line between the mortality of dogs and humans that's the title of your book um what is what is that line is it the same experience I mean for me it is in some ways I have to say losing my dog was in some ways not as hard as losing my dad but very similar in the depression aspect I think in the depression aspect it is very similar because one thing about dogs you know I wouldn't I know a lot of people say their dogs are exactly like their people in their family I would not say that I, I really wouldn't 
but I would say they are really meaningful. They have created a lot of meaning in my life and even a lot of spiritual meaning because things that I love to do, I was able to do because I had the dogs and I felt comfortable mm-hmm. and like, oh, after a while, like there, yeah, it's companion and guardian in the wilderness. And that option of going out in the wilderness and not having to depend on somebody else to be your hiking buddy or whatever, you know, just to get out and to feel this kind of presence, this, this spiritual thing. And the dog adds to that. I think dogs relationships are easier than people relationships, of course, course, because they're so complicated, right? With each other are complicated. Uh, The dog just loves you and you just love the dog and they just do crazy shit and you just love them anyway. And then (laughs) they just love you. Even if you're like having an imperfect day, they're just like, you come home and it's like, oh my God, there she is. You know, they they, think that you were God or something. Right. You say that right before this podcast, I had taken Chewbacca outside and it's so humid and there's so many flies right now. And I'm like, Joey, get in the house. You're letting flies in. And I like screamed at him and he shook a little. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like being imperfect with him. But then he immediately forgives me when I give him a little piece of ham. You know, it's like they forget. And I mean, it's not like you can traumatize a dog over and over. They will not forget. But um, with the little indiscretions about raising your voice or tone or something with a dog, I mean, they're just so forgiving. And I personally believe that Chewbacca understands exactly like the other day I was saying something. I swear to gosh, the dog looked at me like side eye and my husband said, he knows what you're saying about him. And I was like, I know. Is that weird? Like, I I don't know. There's a psychic bond that I have with my dogs. I wouldn't say it's like a human connection. I think it's like a spiritual connection, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, even when, um, I'll make an argument for a very ordinary dog and say, like, I've read, um, a lot of people have read, uh, what is it? Chemistry. Lessons in Chemistry. It's a big, huge bestseller over many, many months. I think it's probably still on New York Times bestseller list. And in there, there's a, there's a point of view character who's a dog. And this dog, I mean, this dog is like Einstein. I think it could have developed the theory of relativity or something. It's so smart. And it, it, understands everybody's mind and soul and it saves people from a a bomb threat i mean it does like absolutely everything and i i as much as i like dogs i thought yeah you know i don't know and i think there's a good argument to be made for like the ordinary kind of dog that people have with its ordinary foibles you will still get your dog doesn't have to be more genius than you are it doesn't have to be lassie telling us that timothy's in the well right it just has to love you and that is what a dog does mm. and that kind of makes and, and immediately when you go through death that actually makes it easier too because your relationship with the dog is clear right when yeah. you're dealing with the death sometimes of family members a lot of the stuff bubbles up right the stuff that's never going to be fixed the stuff that's ne- that you're never going to be able to really talk about openly because of the, you know, the blockade against certain kinds of things. So that's, I think, what makes it hard with people. And then also there's elements of people that you can't do anything about. Like, let's say, you know, when they get really old and really sick and you're still having to get a bath and everything hurts them or they don't want to bathe, you know, they've just kind of lost it. Like a dog, like when Zany, the last time she had a, a bath, she was like so anxious and crazy it was awful situation that's in this book she kind of pooped all over the the floor of the place and I just thought you know that's it she never has to have another bath right and so you can do that with a dog but then people you know it's kind of bad because you have to push people into things that they don't want to do you know and then when they're dying and they're a lot of pain there's no way out of that pain you're watching them suffer in a way that i think you wouldn't watch an animal suffer and it's an interesting question to ask yourself, you know, it yeah. is um when you think about euthanasia and stuff but one of my favorite memoirists is carolyn knapp at k-n-a-p-p she wrote mm-hmm. a book called drinking a love story she won a big award for her journalism she was an essayist she wrote a column but she wrote this book that I love called Pack of Two, um, The Intricate Bomb Between People and Dogs. And that's what your book kind of linked with me, that idea that there is this bond, that they can kind of be your companion sometimes in a way people cannot, right? And then that idea, like you said, about watching your, you know, your people in your family pass and then not being able to alleviate their suffering, but being able to make the choice with the dog. 
it, it, it does. It does. Like, I remember when I made my confirmation in San Francisco at St. John of God. And I had to take all these classes because I, you know, I made my first communion and then kind of fell out of the Catholic church. When I was, when my husband was in dental school in San Francisco, I loved the church out there. I don't go to church anymore, but back then I found a really uh, liberal um, humanitarian service-based church that I would go to and the average age was 60. And I had to take these classes to make my confirmation there. And I got into this argument with this guy about whether dogs go to heaven and cats, whether dogs and cats go to heaven. And I, we really got into it. Like we we're screaming at each other. By the end, to the point where the nun or whatever had to tell us to stop talking about, you know, agree to disagree. But what do you think? Do you think dogs and cats go to heaven? If you believe in heaven? Or, like, is well, there I mean, Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about traditional heaven. I kind of, um, as far, you know, an interesting person on religion, because I wrote all this funny stuff. I am a believer. I, I really am. Oh my I, I'm not a, an atheist. I'm not agnostic. I, I, I do believe. And I think that of afterlife. And part of the thing is, I, a lot of people that have died that I know, um, I have felt their presence, not continuously, only in the couple of days after they died. Like they're kind of making sure that there's a goodbye and that we're okay. And then that's it. I tell you what, I know the Catholic Church says, you know, animals, they don't go. There's, it's only for people. But it's hard for me to conceptualize whatever heaven is. It's very difficult for me to conceptualize heaven me too. without dogs. I mean, yeah. what in the heck is that about? You know, like, come on, man, give me that dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was mm -hmm. talking to my twin sister, Jackie, earlier about that idea, earlier today, in fact, and I said, you know, I really do believe in, um, even though it may not make sense as a punk rock, public defender, kind of up the man that I even buy into religion or the institution at, at all, but I love, I love the community of church. Uh, when people say peace be with you in church, I always start crying. I can't mm -hmm. help it. There's something about the community building of church that I have always loved. And my mom raised me that way to love it. But that concept of heaven or whatever you want to call it, I can't really conceptualize it without dogs either. And I kind of just think we're all energy and all kind of stick around at least for a while. Maybe are reincarnated to something else or to someone else or to something else. but. I mean, I, I do think it's an interesting question if you love dogs so much and if you, let's say there is a pearly gate and you get there and they, and you're like, where's my dog? <laughs> okay. okay, I'm here. In fact, where are all my dogs? Like, can't you just see it? The yeah. whole troop. I mean, think of over life. I'm going to dog when I was a kid too, a lot, you know, many. I'd have all my I could see just all of them the whole troop of them let's have them you know we really really fun and david stone i see on the comments david stone says amen so i'm like yeah david because yeah um because i think um he's a dog lover too he has dogs and cats, so dogs and cats. well yeah. yeah and you know i don't really like to talk about religion much but i i would say this that um i'm not ashamed of saying i do believe in a higher power i don't know if i would call it god or a goddess or the universe but, um, you know, it's kind of uncool to say I'm a believer, but I am too. And, um, and it's kind of cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uncool and cool. I mean, it doesn't really matter what people think um, about it. But I do think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to think about these dogs. And could you read a piece from the Mortality of Dogs and Humans? Just so everyone can hear what, I mean, this is everyone i'm going to put the link in the comments please buy this book they're a steal at eight dollars a steal let me tell you they're not making a lot of money on these um they do it for the love of it of the written word bamboo dark press it's an amalgam of um a book press and a punk rock you know label and mark gibbons and dennis kalachi have put together a whole stable of writers that you really need to check out some of the best writers from the area and from even not in the area, there's some international writers and Peter Church is from New York that's on the label, but check uh, Bamboo Dark Press out. So Victoria, I'm gonna put that link in the comments while you're reading. Okay, thanks. And um, I think I'll just read a little tiny section, you guys, um, this just very quickly, you know, I think you've already heard what it's about. And, and it is looking at, you know, how do we decide when to put the dog down and what the dog means to us. And as I said, Fletcher was a runner. Um, at the time that I got Fletcher, I was running marathons. Um, 
actually jogging marathons, if you want to know the truth, I'm not a very good runner, but um, jogging marathons. And um, he trained with me. And that was another thing in terms of the difference between a person and a dog was like, who could go with me for 20 miles? Well, Fletcher, you know, no one I knew was going to do that. Um, so he was, the, he was my constant companion in that way, uh, in so many ways. And he was a beautiful, beautiful runner. And so um, though the book is about putting the, the dog down and, and what that was like and how we got through it was also about the, the beauty of having dogs in life and particularly with these bigger dogs being outside. So I just want to read two little parts about being outside with dogs. Okay. So on our regular hikes into the local hills, I sought emptiness and peace. Fletcher and Zany found a thriving community of creatures, a heaven of sense to track, lizards and butterflies to snap at and bugs to investigate. It was a virtual doggy activity center of the best sort. We never saw the mountain lions we were warned about in the signage at all the entrances. We did, however, see many deer, squirrels, chipmunks on a regular basis, as well as the occasional skunk, rattlesnake, tarantula, and bobcat. The hills were also the home of the bears that entered our neighborhood but they were more circumspect in midday and sighting them was rare. I liked always to have the dogs with me, partly because I would often come across single men in a lonely patch of the trail. I imagined each of these men was there for his own nature fix, but then I was female and alone would have been easy prey. The two big dogs often caused men to take a wide path around me. One day, as we hiked an isolated trail away from the main loop, we turned a corner, coming around a vast toyon bush to stand face to face with a bear. I only had time to think, oh shit, before the bear turned and took off in the opposite direction. I would say bolted, but a big lumbering animal doesn't bolt exactly. As it bounded away, the undulating edge of its black fur glistened in the sunlight, shedding quicksilver drops. In its rays, I was transfixed. Even the dogs were silent and still, alert, a ridge of fur, head to tail, down each of their backs. Over the years, I've come to understand that by attending to the pups, I attend to myself in ways I wouldn't have otherwise. A, a red-tailed hawk would fly overhead, singular in the sky, which was bright blue, puffy clouded. Serene. The air was pleasant in fall and spring, hot for long summers, when the shade was often perfect. I looked up to see the tiny purple flowers of the lantana, the green hedge, the roses in bloom, red, pink, and sunset hues. Enormous beauty surrounded me. All this felt like grace, and I was lucky each day I was with them. Um, so awesome. That voice. Oh, oh, so good. So good. Mm. Everyone get this book, The Mortality of Dogs and Humans on Bamboo Dart Press by Victoria Waddle. Okay, so let's move to the book giveaway. We're going to give um, a copy of Acts of Contrition away, right? Both. I could, we could do one of each. Oh, one of Do you have two questions to ask? People? I do. So, I think you always um, have good literary questions. <laughs> who, know, who knows their authors? Who knows their famous yeah, authors? Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll go into that in a minute. But I, I do want to say that, uh, talk about the publishing process really quick before we go into the book giveaway. Talk about how Acts of Contrition came to publishing and then how The Mortality of Dogs and Humans came to publishing. And then talk about your Inlandia journey and how you submitted that book and it got picked up for publication as well. Okay. Well, I don't have too much to say about these two books because they just basically published. I thought that um, I'd seen other things from Los Nieto's Press that I liked. One of the things that I, I really enjoyed, uh, oh God, I can't now, of course the title slips my mind, but um, me did the, her book on um, the escape from Vietnam from yeah. the communist regime. And it was I very compelling. Behind the Red Curtain by Hong Yeah, Behind the Red Curtain, yes. Mm -hmm. And um, she was, uh, it was a memoir, so it's like something completely different. But I looked and they saw that they did short work and that they also did um, 
people like in inland Southern California, which was kind of this, this thing. And some of these stories here take place. Actually, some take place at the beach. One's in, one's in Santa Barbara. I mean, it says right there. It's in Santa Barbara. Um, but uh, inland California, nowhere is in these kind of hills and things like that. And so I, um, I thought, well, maybe it would be a good fit. And so I sent it there. And they said, yeah, it's a good fit. So that was like handy. And then um, we did this. One thing I do want to tell you, though, that's kind of um, – it's not a funny story, but I just tell you as far as like a publishing story, a wacky thing that happened, you know, it's almost like I made this up. This almost sounds like fiction, but it's not true. The, this had been ready to go. It was, um, we were working on it at the same time that both of my parents were very ill and dying. And it was also the pandemic. And as you guys probably remember at that time, like if somebody was dying, they throw them in the hospital and then you couldn't go see them. Or if they were in a nursing home, they couldn't have any visitors and they would completely die alone. Well, we were like, my sisters and I, my sister Lisa and Kathy, like, oh, you know, we can't have that. And so my sister Kathy, who's pretty, um, I think, powerful, good person, personality, both my sisters, everybody in my family has good, powerful personality, but they um, kind of got in there and just uh, said, no, you know, we're not going to allow this. And our, my parents were in assisted living, which is just like they give you meals and stuff, right? As they distribute your medicine, they would help my mom take a shower. My mom had dementia and that was it. But my mom needed a lot of care because of her dementia, way more care than you could get in that facility. And so my sisters and I were helping to provide that care. My dad was dying. Um, my mom would end up dying seven months after my dad. So we just registered as self-employed caretakers so that we could get in. And I think we were the only relatives of anybody so in the smart. entire building. Yeah, right? That were in there. And so we could get in every day and they would take our temperature every time we came in, as long as the temperature was good, you know, off we would go. And so um, we were able to, we were able to take care of them. Well, um, this is all going on. Well, this is the book, you know, where we're trying to go through the book wow. and do the edits and things like that. And so it was a crazy time for me. And I think having the book helped me because I felt here's something positive. I'm birthing something into the world, right? While my parents yeah. are dying. And so my dad died and then my mom died. And so my mom, uh, at that time also you couldn't have like a regular funeral because of the pandemic but um so my parents were very uh their ashes were buried in the uh a national cemetery miramar mm -hmm. in san diego and um they said well you can have this like outdoor so you can have an outdoor they have a little outdoor thing i can't it's a maximum i think it was 15 minutes maximum of 25 people which in our family that's like the close family because they're a big family right so just that wearing a mask outside, blah, blah, blah. So here we go. So on March uh, 15th, 2001 was my launch date for my book. Well, as it turned out, that was actually my mother's uh, like funeral date. <laughs> okay. Wow. That we're standing outside. August 15, so, 2021. Yeah. And so the Ides of March, 2021, I should have known, right? Ides of March. And so we go out there and we're standing outside. And this is in a drought year. If you guys remember 2021, didn't rain at all, except that one day. And it poured and it gushed like it was like a hurricane. And so it's just this over thing outside and all this rain is coming sideways through the whole thing. And we were getting completely just soaked and we couldn't sit down on the benches because they were completely soaked. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, I cannot believe this. My mother's probably up there in heaven, just like laughing her head off. And this is supposed to be my book launch day. And instead of like, oh, celebrating my book, I wanted to have like a cake, right, with a picture of the book on the cake that we we're going to cut in the family. And, oh, we're going to do this. Instead, we're standing out here in this like rain and hailstorm and stuff like that. So I thought, well, you know, that's the way my life goes right now. And so that's kind of a funny way that that, that, that one was launched. Wow. Yeah. It was nuts. And then this one, the mortality of dogs and humans, I sent it and I said, well, you know, I mean, because my parents were dying and died and I thought, you know, and then the dogs died. I just wanted to write a little bit about that grief. And as it turned out, it was like, I thought it would be something that would be helpful with other people, but I didn't want to write a whole book about the dogs or anything. I really didn't. I thought this was enough. I said what I wanted to say. And so, yeah. um, I said, Mark Gibbons, what do you think? And he's like, yeah. And again, he was, he was kind of like I said before, is that a chat book? But yeah, it's a chat book if we make it a chat book, you know? And so um, so that's what we did. So it's kind of like you said, he's pushing the boundaries, which I think is very, very cool. And um, and we were able to have that there. Um, the Inlandia one, you know, they have like a, they have a anonymous yeah, process. Think, um, a lot of people think that some of this stuff is magic and some of it is, I would say that. Uh, finding a press and all that and it's your connections and it's the literary community that you're part of but there is actually within Landia Institute 
there's a, a blind submission process that you submitted your book to. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's a, um, yeah. So it has no identifying information on it at all or anything like that. And then they have uh, readers, different readers read it and just make a call. You know, do we want to publish yeah. this or don't we? And they decided to. So I was really excited about that because it's a, um, it's a, it's a teens YA, but it's a very hard hitting one. I think yeah. very difficult things happen in this community. And I felt that, um, you know, I did send it out to like a few agents that they really like this, but you know, she used to have a boyfriend. And I thought, you know, I think you're missing. Uh, this is about a girl who's being forced to marry in a polygamous cult. And so not everything is teen romance. I know teen romance yeah. is really popular, but that's not what we're talking about here. So I wanted to go with somebody who who, um, who honored the project, if you know what I mean. Like, right? Just well, yeah, them. I've read the book and it's brilliant. And um, I, I don't want to give too much away about it. And I want to have you on when that book comes out. But I, I do have to say this. It is not your typical YA. It's um, a lot more than that, I think. You know, when we think YA, we think kind of superficial sometimes and blah, blah, blah. But the best YA books like Gabby, A Girl in Pieces and um, Aristotle and Dante, uh, you know, um, the Aristotle and Dante uh, two books um, that came out. Um, those books deal with larger cultural issues in the zeitgeist. And really resonate, and I think your book is going to. And I know it's untitled because you're working on the title a little bit right now. You had a title, you switched it up because of uh, another uh, media thing that came out that had the similar title. So as soon as it comes out, we are definitely going to market it. Let's do the giveaway really quick because we have about five minutes for the mortality of dogs and humans book. I'm going to do a pretty easy trivia question. Name the author who wrote Call of the Wild, and the first person who puts that in the comments will win the mortality of dogs and humans. Um, so I, yeah, so, um, and that's about a dog, obviously. And then for acts of contrition and the same person, ah, David Stone, you won it. So Stone just won the mortality of dogs and humans. And um, so for the next question, um, for acts of contrition, you know, it really does have a very strong um, religious component. So for me, one of my favorite writers um, is an Irish writer who wrote a lot about the Catholic Church. And um, he wrote a short story collection called Dubliners. And he won, but Dave Stone, please put that author's name. He's a very famous Irish writer, um, postmodernist, modernist um, era, who wrote the collection Dubliners which contains a story called Araby, which is one of my favorite short stories of all time. And so um, if someone puts that in the comments, then you will win Acts of Contrition, uh, signed by Victoria Waddle and David Stone. You just won The Mortality of Dogs and Humans. So congratulations. Congratulations. Yay, yay. yay. Uh, these are both great books. I have to say for people listening in that aren't watching live, please go to the Los Nietos, L-O-S-N-I-E-T-O-S, press website and buy acts of contrition um it's also a steal at 16 dollars. and then mortality of dogs and humans can be found on bamboo.press.com and these are eight dollar chat books you can actually get a subscription through bamboo dart and get a number of books and i would recommend doing that so um i love all of their authors they have my friend emily fernandez came out with a book of poetry that's very well done to um and i just think that they're finding writers and amplifying voices that need to be amplified so um we have oh ruthie marlene just acts of contrition you will get a signed copy of this ruthie james joyce was the answer he wrote dubliner she also wrote portrait of the artist as a young man and um of course ulysses and finnegan's way <laughs> all some of my favorite novels I've studied under a Joyce scholar at UCR named Kim Devlin. So I love me some Joyce. So I just want to say this has been awesome to have you on. Um, I, <laughs> I do want to give a shout out. In two weeks, we're going to have Elsa Valmidiano on. She's a Filipino writer who just wrote a beautiful book. And I will put that on um, my Facebook page with more information. And then um, I want to urge everyone to follow us on Apple Podcasts. We're really trying to grow this. Um, and I'm trying to um, really promote the authors that come on. I have some ideas for doing maybe a book club. So if anyone has any ideas about how to grow this podcast and you want to be involved, just send me a message. Um, we have some people who, here that I want to shout out. Lauren Gibbon-Galetsky.
Lexi. Hi, Aunt. Lexi. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. She's my goddaughter. Oh, my sister, yes. and your sister is here. Yeah, it's my sister. Elizabeth. Yeah. She said she's one of the people who has like did the the care of my parents. Very Aww. yeah. She's she's a great person. Now you call her the bulldog because she's like she gets stuff done. You know, it's like you can't tell her no. She's yeah. Very good. Thank you. And um. Lauren is here as well. We all we know David and Ruthie Laura. are here. Ruthie just won Accidentrician. Lauren, um, well done. Laura, Laura Winston. She's she did oh. this. This is her. Oh, artwork. she's the yes. artist. Yes. It's so yes. beautiful, yes. Laura. Yes. Thank you for really letting her use. I have it. You know, this I have a regular uh, computer right here, so I can't you know I can't turn it around or whatever. But that painting I have on the wall directly behind me so that whenever I come in this room and work I get to see Zany so it's really sweet. Oh okay so just really quick I do want to talk about your sub stack. We'll go five minutes over. What is the sub stack that you just created via cactus? What do you publish on there? How can people find you? And do you have any upcoming events or readings you want to talk about? Talk to us oh, about you know what I do have a couple of things that I hope people can just sit here for one minute because I want to say the Substack is just, it's almost like a blog, but it's just a, a community where writers and stuff are. And I think that it's um, way more comfortable than typical social media that people have gone on to uh, just seem to like hate each other or whatever. This is all like really genuine community. And I think that's like it. I like it. So I have a thing. It's just called Be a Cactus. And the idea of Be a Cactus is that, you know, you can bloom beautifully, but you also sometimes have to be a little prickly to keep your boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. These are my boundaries. I got these little stickers out, you know, don't you invade me? Like um, because I think that's the thing that I have had a hard time learning in life. I'm still learning it. So um, that's why oh, it's called too. Be a Cactus. Yeah, yeah. And I have some things on there. And I, I do put it out on Sundays. And so this Sunday, I'll put some links to some of the things that I'm talking about. So I had a couple things going on there. A couple, uh, upcoming things are that on somebody's uh, um, uh, Substack magazine, it's called um, The Books That Made Us. I'm going to have a, an article in there about um, a book that made me when I was 12 years old, which was Little Women. Uh, oh and so, yeah. I'm and a so, little woman fanatic. Oh my yeah. God. Okay. Well, you're going to like this yeah. one because like, why did I like that? And I, I'm looking at it as not just a, a moral tale, but as a proto-feminist book and, yeah. and what it meant. So going I mean, on to so, that and cre hello. creativity. Yeah, yeah, creativity. She's everybody's favorite. She was my favorite. Mm -hmm. And then um, another And I project. personally think Joe from Facts of Life is named after Joe and Little Women. I've never oh, okay. that, but I always I had the idea that Joel Polnicek from Facts of Life was named after, was named Joe after the Little Woman character, Joe. Yeah. Maybe right, and her actually never thought that, but yeah, actually, yeah, it's just kind of you know. Now that you now that you said it, that makes sense, right? Um, also, we're having in in Landia. You know, I used to be the managing editor for five years, and then I stopped doing that. And Erin McQueenie is the managing editor now, and we had talked about having a special issue about libraries and librarians because librarians are going through so much right now, and so special issues really fun. Librarians could submit on any topic. And then other people who are not librarians could only submit work about librarians or libraries. And so that's all been chosen. Erin um, is putting the issue together. I was Erin McSweeney. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Eric McSweeney. And I was um, the the editor of just the issue, the issue itself. And um, I wrote an article for a long article about empathy, uh, how reading, you know, like, Banning books is banning empathy. That's actually what's going on. But I talked about one book. It's kind of different than anybody else's article. I talked about one book that I personally withdrew from my collection. And I go through why and the reviews so that you can see how hard it is to withdraw a book. You can't just like go take 2,000 books off and say, we'll put them back later after we read them. Because that's never going to happen. That's a ploy to keep books off the shelf. And so I think it's a really interesting article. And I will, um, I will. Uh, when it comes up in September, put a link to it. But all that could be in the subsect. If people go to be a cactus on victoria.substack.com, um, I will link out the last few projects that I've had that are not, that have been published like in online, but not uh, yet yeah, in books. And then also when those come up, I'll be sure to give the links. I'm really excited about the library project. Oh, the library issue. I know Alan Kalachi, hopefully he put something in there. He's a librarian in Upland. I actually uh, reprinted a story from my memoir about the Ontario Library. And they're reprinting it in that anthology. I think it's going to be, it's a fascinating idea to base a whole issue around librarians telling their stories and 
and other people telling stories about libraries and librarians, right? And I was just saying today, um, no, yesterday we had to do a site visit out in Palm Springs and we're driving with everyone, so I'm kind of talking. And I was saying that my dream job would be to be a librarian. I mean, to be surrounded by books. It just seems like in some ways just this beautiful occupation, but I'm sure in other ways it's very hard. Like no job is easy, right? You're, you're yeah, that's true. There's always, always that. But just being a school librarian, I think one of the, the fun things is that you're surrounded by books, but you're surrounded by teens, you know. Um, and if you care about, you know, teens and kids and stuff and just putting the right book in the right hands, I think. I mean, a lot of school libraries also, you're trying to teach people elementary research, like, right? Yeah. How to find resources that are trustworthy, reliable, which is really important in this day and age, I must say. And so there's that aspect, but there's also the book aspect, which is like super, super fun. So, yeah. Well, one of my uh, best friends in law school, Tiffany Willis, died recently, um, my roommate in law school. And she was the uh, librarian at a law school in LA. And um, she was just such a special person. And she was the only person that I had known before I met all my writing friends that really loved books the way I loved books. And it was just, just amazing that she, you know, she was a corporate lawyer and she went and got her library degree at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we went to USC for law school. And I would always think like, that's her perfect job was to be a librarian even out of law school, you know? And um, I also want to talk about your book reviews just really quick. Where can people find those? I have to tell everyone, Victoria Waddle is so humble, but she's such a good reviewer and she really supports other writers through her reviews. Where can people find your book reviews? I have a lot of YA book reviews. So again, YA means young adult, right? Things for teens or adult books that teens would also like. At, it's called schoollibrarylady.com. So if you, it's all like one word, just spelled it completely out, schoollibrarylady.com. Tons of book reviews there. And then I have a website that's just victoriawaddle.com, and it has some review of more adult books. There are lots of adult books actually in the school library one, but they have to have some teen appeal or I didn't put them on there. Yeah. Well, and thank you for books. everything you do. Thank you thank for you. all your writing, for all your books. When your new book comes out, you got to come back on and promote that. Absolutely. I want everyone. Who's, <laughs> thank you, Victoria, who's listening in to go, um, go get a copy of The Mortality of Dogs and Humans. Get a copy of Acts of Contrition, which is a short story collection. And for the people who won, just send me a message with your address and I'll forward it on to Victoria. I want to thank everyone for listening. And everyone is so proud of you. You have so many people that adore you. And um, <laughs> well, then I'm going to take that away. That's going to be my takeaway. Okay, I'm going to. Yeah, you are. You're loved. So I just want to thank you for coming on and for being a wonderful person, professor, teacher. You also teach for Inlandia. So if anyone wanted to take a class with Victoria, just check out the Inlandia website. And she does teach um, classes as well for Inlandia and other people. So. Check that out. And um, my sister Jackie, my twin, has taken a class with Victoria and just adores her as a facilitator teacher. Okay, so thank you so much. Thank Everyone you. have a great night. Yeah. And listen night. in on Apple Podcasts. Please follow us. Bye, everyone. Bye.